Before we get going with this episode, kind of our middle point of knowing the personality and power of Jesus, I want to remind you where we've been, where we're going, but also kind of warn you a little bit about this particular episode and the tone with which I'm going to be speaking. So, where have we been? Where are we going? Well, one of my great contentions, almost personal theologies, is that for the original disciples, there were these nine stages of experience of Jesus. First of all, encounter. They encountered him, really, he encountered them. Then, where we are, knowing the personality and power of Jesus, then we're going to be eventually getting to his words, hearing them, and then learning to obey them. Well, then, after three years, comes the cross, then the resurrection, then the ascension, then his invitation to approach the throne of grace with confidence, then his inner life, his Holy Spirit being sent, and finally, with all that, extending the realm of the kingdom of heaven as far as it would go in their human lifetime. So those are the nine stages of experience that they had, and we're trying to revisit and really recapture experience of each of those stages. So again, we're only in the second slice. This is the midpoint week, which brings me to my warning. Because as I've been sitting with the Lord this week and preparing what I'm about to share, I feel called to challenge us to really say to us, let's be real about where we are and where we want to be. So there's a chance towards the end of this particular episode, you might feel a little offended by my tone, by my hoping to draw you a little higher and perhaps a little deeper. So prepare yourself. Don't be afraid. It's going to be good. Well, what I want you to imagine in this episode is a particular moment on a particular day when there are great crowds of people and they are surrounding Jesus as they always do. And let's say you're one of the disciples and out of the corner of your eye, you see someone who looks familiar. Perhaps you turn to, let's say, Andrew or John and say, why does that person look familiar? In fact, there's a couple of people who look familiar. They're walking this way and John and Andrew look over and they know them. They are disciples of John the Baptist. And John and Andrew know that, if you recall, because they themselves had once been disciples of John the Baptist before beginning to follow Jesus. And so they see these disciples of John the Baptist walking toward Jesus. They come all the way to the teacher. And with grief-stricken faces, they whisper in his ear. And Jesus buries his face in his hands. His shoulders begin to shake as he sobs. And in Matthew's gospel, we're given a very interesting detail. It says that when he heard the word about John the Baptist's execution, he went away by himself. He sailed away quite alone. And that's striking to me because Jesus was a man, yes, of the Galilee, but not by the seaside. But he'd learned enough to know how to trim a sail how to handle a boat by himself. I wonder if he does not walk down the pebbly shoreline, get in one of the boats, and sail off entirely alone. He wants to be with the Father. He wants to think about his cousin and the way that he was the forerunner of this ministry. He wants that time of grief. So do you have that image in your mind? Because what I want to do from here 
is imagine two different experiences of, let's say, a couple days later when Jesus reemerges from that time of being alone with his sorrow. I want you to imagine the experience of the crowds receiving him back, and I want you to imagine the disciples' experience of sharing him and having him come back. So the crowds. Because let's say that they see Jesus sail off and they go back to their houses. And a couple of days later, word is coming that he will be returning to somewhere nearby. And so, well, I mean, you're, guess you're, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm interested enough, is how the crowds feel. And so, in sort of a mass migration, they go. And first there's hundreds, and then next there's thousands of people. And they go to a particular place where they think he may reemerge. And in fact, there he is. They're in this massive, open seaside meadow. And there he is. Can you see him off there in the distance? Oh, he's, he's, he's quite a ways off. But boy, there he is. Wow. And he goes and he sits down under the shade of a tree. And, and you're kind of squinting your eyes and uh, cupping your, your, your sight with your hands to try and kind of glimpse what he's doing. I think, oh yeah, it looks like he's laying hands on some people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it looks from this distance like he might actually be healing them. Wow. Okay, now it, yeah, it looks like he, I think he might be teaching. I see his lips moving out there and it looks like the disciples, maybe you're going to take the message and bring it out to us and sort of disseminate it out to these far-flung crowds. Hmm, I wonder what he's saying. I can't, I can't hear it from this distance. Oh, and boy, the hours are going by got to be honest, I'm very hungry. And I forgot to bring anything to eat. Oh, boy, I wonder what he's doing now. Hey, look, I think those are some of his disciples. Well, how kind. They're bringing us some food. Huh, bread and fish. That's, thank you, gentlemen. That's very nice of you to bring our crowd some food. Thank you very much. Mmm, delicious. Good bread, good fish. Ah, well, the sun is setting. Oh, there he goes. See, he's kind of skirting the edge of the crowds. It looks like he's saying we can go home. <laughs> well, what a nice day. So, if you were in that crowd on that particular day when Jesus reemerges from his time of retreat, being alone, being with the Father, what have we experienced? Well, we, we, we sort of experienced some healing. Uh, we saw it from a distance and we sort of heard what he said because it was brought back to us by the crowd. And we have sort of been fed by him. Although let's be honest, I, I actually didn't know about the five loaves and the two fish. I was just very grateful that someone brought me some food. In fact, there was some leftovers. That was nice. So nothing in particular, is changed by having this pseudo-proximity to Jesus. And I went back to my house that evening and had a nice time with my family and fell asleep, and it was a fairly normal day. Do we have that? Can we imagine that? Now, let's imagine the disciples' experience from the moment when Jesus heard the word of John the Baptist's death. What happened next? Well, it would appear that seeing him sail away, they themselves went and got into some of the other boats and followed nearby. Perhaps, yes, allowing him to have that solitude. But we can almost imagine the disciples, let's be there. 
we're sitting nearby. We can see him off at a distance, being with the Father. And so when he reemerges, we're with him. In fact, we walk to him and we are able to be with him, to comfort him, to put an arm around his shoulder and say, I know what it is to lose someone. I remember. I'm sad, Jesus. Your cousin was a good man. And and to be able to appreciate that moment together, that's what the disciples had. And then they go around this bend in the trail and up over a rise. And oh, wow. Look at the crowds. We're receiving that experience with him. We see how his heart goes out to the people and we go and we sit next to him under the shade of that tree. And as the people begin to line up, those who cannot walk, the blind, even a leper who's heard the story of the other one, as they line up, we sit with Jesus. We watch the way he receives those who are lost. We're broken, brokenhearted. And we see the power of his touch just feet away. The miracle of those who have not been able to stand upright, standing upright, those with their skin covered in leprosy made white as snow, those who have never seen suddenly seeing. It overwhelms us to to be near that, to experience that power. And then the line of those needing healing is done. He's healed them all. And now he turns and he begins to speak of the kingdom of heaven. And we are on pins and needles. We're right there with him. We can't believe these turns of phrase, the glory of how he talks. Oh. But because we're taking on the heart of Jesus, as the sun begins to set and we realize our own hunger, (laughs) um, Jesus, come here. And over he comes and says, what? And we say, listen, this crowds they've come from a long distance and they've been with you all day and many don't have any food and Jesus should we send them away to the nearby you know farms and towns and they could buy something to eat and he smiles and looks us in the eye and says you give them something <laughs> okay Jesus So you want us to sell everything we own and go out and raise as much money as we can imagine so that each of them could have maybe just one bite? And he laughs (laughs) and says, go and see what you can find. So now, let's be honest, a bit annoyed. We're wandering and wading through the crowds and, oh boy, Jesus, look at what we found. We've got five loaves and two fish. And he says, give them to me. And he looks upward, heavenward. And blesses the Father for blessing us with these five loaves and two fish for what looks like, oh, I don't know, five, eight, ten, twelve thousand people, including the men, women, and children. And then he begins to break them and to hand them to you. He says, give that out to that group. And you give it out. And you come back and kind of your head kind of tilts to the side as you squint your eyes and realize there's seems to be just as much as there was before. And he gives you a second basket. You go to the next group, next group, next group. The hours pass until the entire crowd sits back, satisfied, glutted. You pick up leftovers and come back to a smirking Jesus whose smirk becomes a grin. And then he says to you, now listen, here's what I need you to do. Go back down, get in the boat, sail to the other side. I'm going to send these crowds home. 
so you obey. You set out on the water and you enjoy the twinkling of the stars breaking out in the sky, the enjoyment of conversation around the boat, the sound of the water against the hull, all of the beauties of the evening until, just like in our last episode, chaos. A wind that starts low and begins to build and becomes stronger and stronger until it is starting to turn the entirety of the Sea of Galilee into a cauldron, like a boiling uh, pot full of water. It's coming over the edge of the boat and it's chaos and now the wind is whipping and you have to drop the sail and it's overwhelming and the sailors, the fishermen in your midst are trying to take over and right the boat and now you're bailing water out of the boat and in the midst of all of this chaos, in the midst of this fear and the realization that he's not even here to try and help you this in the midst of all of that, all of the emotion, all of the fear, you look up and he's standing there, bobbing with the waves, moving, shifting his balance to stay afloat, but he's standing on the water, looking at you in the midst of the moonlight. And of course, it's Peter who sees that and thinks, that looks fantastic. And in the midst of his own fear, thinking at first it's some kind of ghost, but realizing it is, in fact, Jesus says, Jesus, if you would, would you command me to come to you? I would like to try that. And you've read Matthew 14. You know that he goes out there, loses his nerve and sinks. But let me tell you, of the 12, he's the only one out there. So that's the two experiences of that day, the crowds and the disciples. Two experiences of the same day that we know, yes, as the feeding of the 5,000 and the walking on water, but those was, this was a day in the human life of these people. This was their perceived experience of a day. So why am I talking about it? Well, I was reading this week and noticing Matthew's particular way that he structures the course of that day, especially as it pertains to that opening, Jesus getting word of John the Baptist's death and disappearing. And I realized this day is an allegory of the Christian life. Because if you think back to the life and ministry and then the ascension of Jesus, really our experience, the body of Christ, the church begins at the ascension. We don't get to see Jesus go through what they all saw him go through. And so the experience of the broader worldwide body of Christ begins at the ascension. So it begins with Jesus leaving. And I would say from the moment that Jesus ascended, there have been two opportunities for us as followers or even potential followers of Jesus, two potential opportunities for us, how we do this thing. Because we can be like the crowd. The crowd who had a, 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 a sort of a distant experience of the rest of that narrative. Who have sort of like a, an idea of his healing power because they can see it from a far distance and it's, it seems possible but kind of nebulous. They can have a, a non-proximate experience of his voice and teaching, like it's been received by the disciples up close, but brought to them, the crowd sort of echoed and rippled out over the side of the hill. And then they can have this sort of, uh, I think he's providing for us, 
but it's like so far away, I, I, I'm not sure, I, I think. That can be an experience of Jesus of Nazareth since he went away at the ascension, or to use the allegory that we talked about with the disciples, here's how it could be. He sails off, he ascends, and we don't accept it. We go to be where he is. We get as close as we can. We have to be with him. And then when he comes and he begins to heal, we're there. We see it. In fact, we carry it. We're part of it. We're part of this healing touch of the master. And we don't accept not hearing his voice. We say, no, no, I, I will hear it. I will be as close as I can. I will do everything in my power. I will obey him. I will have proximity to him so that we don't miss a word from his lips. And as it pertains to provision, heavenly provision, we count on it. When we don't have enough to pay for that bill, we wait upon him. We say, well, you promised, so I'll stay here and I'll wait upon you until you do it. And then, just like his disciples might have done on the water, they might have said, well, he did calm a storm before, but he's not here. We, as those who are here with an ascended Savior, we say, no, he will show up. In the same way he revealed himself on that night on the water, nothing could stop him from getting to the men in the boat. We believe that there will be nothing that will stop him from coming into our day-to-day -day life, that we would have miraculous experience of his revelation. So here's where I'm going to be bold and slightly challenging and maybe offensive. As we go into this Christmas of 2022, as I'm recording this, I want to say to you, I think you have as much of Jesus as you want. I think that if your sense is he's distant, that maybe he can heal. Perhaps he could teach me directly. Perhaps he really is the providing God. If all of that has a perhaps caveat, you don't have enough yet. You've accepted the position of the crowds. And quite frankly, it's fairly lifeless and boring because, friends, I've been there. My challenge to us, as those who really do have as much of Jesus as they want, is how much do we want? Will we be relentless? Like whatever day of your human life you're living right now, whether it's a Monday, a Thursday, or a Sunday, did you get up today and say, I will hear from him? I will read in his word. I will wait before him. I will worship him so that I hear his voice. If you need a healing touch, if you need to be his healing touch to those who are lost, broken of heart, will you be with him in such a way that you can extend his own hand? Will you, like the disciples, be right there as he's providing? Will you be provided for? Will you be a provider in his spirit so that others experience that he is limitless? And will you stop believing the lie that he will not show up in the night? That he will not enter our reality? That all of that is over? That this has ceased to be? That you are some sort of cessationist? Will you stop believing that lie? Will you believe, like Hebrews 13 says, that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever? And that the way he showed up on the water that night is the way he is? So there's my baseline, friends. Friends. 
as we're at the midpoint of knowing the personality and power of Jesus, I would say to you, you have as much of Jesus as you want. How much more do you want? How much more, if you and I should run into each other this week on the street, could I just say to you, hey, speak to me of Jesus. Tell me the freshest, best thing you know about him personally. What would you answer? Thanks so much for listening.